Hello and welcome to another episode of Beers with Mir. My name, as always, is Edward Mir, and I am your host today. I wanted to go and give a little bit of a forewarning of some of the issues I had uh, this weekend when I met with Mr. Uh, George Lang, who's uh, the now um, elected senator for the state of Ohio in my district. And part of the problem was I could not go and get the, my my uh, my speakers to play any audio. Um, there were some other issues that occurred, and now I'm finding out that the microphone did not pick, did not turn on to record any of the conversation with Mr. Lang, which um, really kind of stinks. So the only mic apparently that was working was the mic that I had next to me, and George and I were sitting uh, six feet apart, so we were res- being respectful of the COVID uh, rules and things that were going on at the time. And I don't want to scrap this whole thing because I think there's some good information in there, some nice information to it. Um, and I apologize for how messed up this is. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to get with uh, Mr. Lang, or Senator, or soon to be Senator Lang, uh, in January, and we can do a n- another podcast that's actually maybe two hours long and has some. Uh, we can get really into some good questions about his life growing up, his businesses, and um, what he plans on doing in office. In his feelings about what's going to be coming in the future for uh, on the on the federal level of offices and stuff like that. Um, I think that's going to be a good time to go and have some, some fun. Uh, hopefully, I can get my equipment to work right. And I have to really apologize to everybody who does listen to this because um, I am I should have about a thousand dollars worth of equipment that work perfect all the time, uh, but I don't. I have about forty dollars worth of equipment, and uh, it is probably just barely holding on so um, I'm going to do some tests uh, test runs in the next couple weeks to see what's going on Uh, maybe my extension cord did not work appropriately or you know I just don't know what the heck I'm doing probably at least part of partly of both but um, as of right now please enjoy this wonderful video and uh, thank you for uh, coming in well, welcome to another episode of Beers with Mir. My name is Ed Mir, and today we have a wonderful host or guest here. Um, it is George Lang, who just won the Ohio State Senate seat uh, here in uh, Butler County. Uh, thank you, George, for coming and joining us. And uh, we do have actually root beers today, which we don't normally even have a beer, but we have a root beer today. So that's the positive of the day. Um, George, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. How, how did you get involved in politics? Yeah. First of all, I appreciate Ed uh, bringing root beer. I really don't like the taste of beer, so I, uh, and, uh, thanks for bringing root beer instead. Um, I guess my passion for politics started when I was young. I was always involved in uh, high school and college politics. Um, but I, I met my paternal grandmother when I was about 23. I, I guess I knew her as a baby, but I, I, I don't have a recollection of that. I'll uh, take a brief minute and tell you my story. Uh, my mama had me, I was born one month after she turned 22 years old. Um, I was her fifth child, my older sister, seven years my senior. You can do the math. My dad, who was the son of a Cuban immigrant, my grandmother, who I just mentioned, uh, was just a kid himself. Uh, about three months after I'm born, my dad takes off leaves my mom alone. Five kids, three of us in diapers. My mom started having babies very young in life. She had no education, no experience, no marketable skills. 
And about three months after my dad left, I, uh, she had a nervous breakdown. I became a ward of the state. So I spent my early years in foster care. As a result of that, I never had a relationship with my paternal grandmother. And then uh, after I graduated college, she and I started talking and I had a business trip out to Los Angeles where she lived. I was probably 23 or 24. And uh, that's where I met her for the first time, even though I, I knew her as a kid, I hadn't seen her in years. And um, she talked to me about Cuba and America and the vast difference and how amazing freedom was. And then she recited the preamble to the Constitution of the United States of America. And when she was done reciting that, she said, when it, you have made it in life, you have to give back. And uh, I didn't know what that would look like at that point, but I, I promised her I would. So I uh, got involved in politics, um, running for office in uh, 2003 and uh, have been running ever since. Now, now uh, prior to this, I, I interviewed uh, Miss Nancy Nix. And of course, everybody said, you want to start with her because she's the nicest of everybody around. And, and she was. She put up with a lot of my BS. <laughs> um, and she still takes my phone calls. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> what uh, the, with her, she had to go and actually kind of campaign a little bit with the party. Did you have to go around and, and I guess, campaign a little bit with everybody? Or were you able to just be like, like what I did, but, but instead of losing multiple elections, actually winning a few? No, no the, the, the campaign is a brutal job. And by the way, Nancy Nix is the hardest elected campaigner who's an elected official for other candidates than anybody I know. She gets out there. If she believes in you, she works hard. I have nothing but uh, amazing. Well, that, that's what, that's, that's what everybody for. tells me about Nancy. And, yeah. and I was like, whoa, cool. And, and, and like I didn't quite know the whole story when I first interviewed her, other than that everybody said, oh, she's like this super great person. Yep. And then it's like, oh, wow, you know, I didn't realize that's who I was with. Yeah, but yeah, she, she really is wonderful. And, and as much as I love the job, as much as I love serving and trying to move Ohio in the direction I think they need to move in, I hate the campaign. The campaign is brutal. Oh, I, I agree with you on that one. I mean, you, I don't know if you saw what I went through this year with the uh, the fake accounts and all that. And, I did and, not. Oh God, that uh, the, the the whole they uh, it, there's a production company. Well, it has like four or five names. It's it's that Democrat who dropped out uh, a couple of years ago, and you know he put it up put up pictures of checks online that he said he was working for uh, Davison. And they were, uh, I've had, uh, there's a couple police reports on it where uh, uh, they basically were impersonating me online and then making racist comments to Vanessa, who's the Democrat running against Warren, and on yeah. the Democrat side of the ticket. And um, the police were like, these need to come down. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. There's stuff involved, involving UC and their involvement in it. And uh, they, they're just, they're, it, it's kind of funny how, how ugly things get. And then everybody's like, oh, you got a lawyer. Oh, oh, smokes. You know, we, you know, this was all fun and games before, but it does have effect on someone's life. Cause like, like with me, it's like, they still, I have people that they still pull up these fake profiles are like, oh my God, we don't want to hire this person here. We don't want this person working here. And people I work with go and they're like, oh, I can't believe. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a fake profile. But these guys, that was taken down. And they just they screenshot stuff that they posted before they they were forced to take it down by the cops. But that's that was what I went through this year, and I I can imagine that I mean that's the new thing of, of heartache. But just going around and actually 
slugging it out and then the different opinions right now within the party it's just such a uh, a pain yep. and I, I and then having one and then and, and I, I do want to talk a little bit about this campaign because I think it's one of the funnier ones uh, um, uh, with uh, Miss Keller uh, Candace Keller and, and then uh, now she lost uh, and then Lee lost as well um, I know Lee I talked to Lee he he was like yeah you know it's just that's that's election and then she kind of was running and screaming and hollering and and uh, then her husband decided to do a write-in against you, which I absolutely thought was insane. Um, but that's kind of like the people saying, write Trump's name in in Georgia <laughs> instead of voting for one of those two people for senator. Yep. And I, I honestly thought you were going to lose the election because the way it seems like is they, they have a lot of support. And I mean, how do you, I mean, how do you deal with that on like a regular basis? Or, or do you just kind of ignore it and just like, you know, you, you know, all you can do is focus on your message. My message resonates within our county. My message would not resonate within the state. Uh, but, you know, you, I, I, I know I was attacked every day on social media. I really don't pay that much attention to social media. I bet I spend five minutes a day on it, and you sent me messages, and sometimes it takes me two days to even respond. I'm not ignoring you. I just haven't been on it for a couple of days. Well, you also have a full-time job and a business, too. Yeah, I have uh, uh, five businesses that I own in addition to uh, being a, an elected official. How do you find time to do all that? You, you, you know, <laughs> um, if, if you look at highly productive people, they manage their time very well. And I, uh, I tend to work every Monday, Friday, and Saturday in my private sector business and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday as a, in my public sector work since I've become a state rep. So you just, um, you know, if, if you've only got 10 hours a day and you're highly productive for those 10 hours, I mean, when m most people are probably only really highly productive three to four hours a day, they're busy, they're shuffling papers, they're doing something. But in terms of really being productive, it's, it's a very small percentage of the time. Yeah, I'll probably agree with that. I mean, it's, it's kind of varies depending on what you do for a living and stuff like that. Yeah. But, I mean, that was what Truman said about um, when they were building the uh, the Pentagon back in the day. It's like he'd go by there and there was like be nobody working there. And that's why it was taking so long. Um, I'm watching the time here. I know, <laughs> I know you got oh, that. Oh, my, my phone ring and I have oh. a hearing aid. Oh. It goes right off in my hearing aid. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got all kinds of stuff there. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Obviously, I'm not I'm not that technically uh, <laughs> savvy yet. Um uh, I, I kind of did want to also talk to you about like some of the corruption issues going on in the state. Um, you had to vote this year also on, on uh, removing the Speaker of the House here in Ohio. Uh, but that's not like an Ohio-only issue because I believe Illinois and Indiana also had a very similar situation occur. Um, and then City Council down here in Cincinnati as well. Um, and all, it's like every party's got the issue. It's not just the Republican Party or whatnot. Um, do you think that we need to do more with fighting the corruption that's going on i mean i know that the, there's fbi investigation still going on into that um you vote like i i, I guess that really the question is uh, on a lot of the, that that was there you were in a lot of meetings that i'm sure you're not going to that, that we will never know is there i mean i don't know how do i want to word this do you think the corruption? Who in their right mind would say, "Let's not fight corruption"? Of course, right, we right. Need to fight it at all levels, wherever we feel. Do you, Do you think some people are scared to try to fight corruption? Are scared? Yeah. 
I can't imagine. Because I, I know why. the Speaker of the House was, he's, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, like, he's like a kingmaker or whatnot. Um, and, you, you know, um, I did not vote for Larry Householder to be Speaker okay. of the House. I voted for Ryan Smith. And Larry Householder met with me five, maybe six times before that election, uh, every time trying to persuade me to change my vote and support him. And every single time I was expecting, because I, I heard what you have just heard, I was expecting to be bullied, to be browbeaten, and I was expected to, you know, get my ass kicked while I stood up for voting for the other guy. It was never once like that. Okay. Uh, he treated me with honor. He was always a gentleman. He always asked for my support, usually more than once at the meeting. And at the end of the day, every meeting, um, when we were done, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick with... Uh, with Ryan Smith, who was his opponent at the time, and he uh, he thanked me. And um, after Larry Smith won, I'm sorry, Larry Householder won, uh, he gave me every committee I wanted except one and gave me a chairmanship. He did not have to do that, so I uh, I appreciate that because I I did not support him. Right. Uh, but he he was uh, good to me. Now maybe that was part of you know he's a political mastermind. Maybe that was, <laughs> yeah. uh, part of a game that he was playing, but, um, you know, I, I uh, as far as my personal relationship with Larry, I did not support him, but I, I couldn't stand here and say he was unfair to me. Well, that's fair enough. I just, it's like, like with me, it's like, I look around and it's like with Cincinnati and they, it, it was a very similar, well, different, the very similar kind of scheme going on downtown. They had like three uh, three members of uh, the city council arrested in one week, I think it was, or two weeks. And then um, there, of course, the, the investigations. Do you think there will be a lot of people removed from uh, the office in the House? I mean, how uh, – let me ask that. I mean, that's another question. Like, if – because you there was a vote for him to be removed from uh, – the as Speaker of the House, but then there was another vote to have him removed from the House, which he did not – that he, st- he was able to keep his position at, as Speaker of the House. Or not, I'm sorry, as a seat in the House, but not as a Speaker. Um, with this FBI investigation, if they come through and they actually prosecute, would, would could possibly we be losing 25 people, or could they still keep their jobs as members of the State House while they are found guilty of um, the corruption, I guess? Well, it's up to the individual unless, and I think it's a supermajority, I think you need 66%, unless 66% of the members vote to remove an individual. And the standard may even be higher, Ed. I'm drawing a blank on the standard, but it's it's a high bar. Um, I, I believe everyone deserves their day in court. Um, for some people where money has gone directly into their pocket, uh, even though they deserve their day in court and their constituents put them in that office, I, I would encourage them to step down because their focus can't be on their job, their their job. Their focus has to be on clearing their name. Right. And, uh, and unless you've got a quick process to do that, you know, unless you demand a speedy trial and you can have everything done in 60 days, I would encourage, and, and very few people do demand a speedy trial, right. I would encourage them to step aside and focus on... Uh, on what's important, yeah. Because I, I, it's, it's always funny because I, I mean, being here in Cincinnati area, 
I mean, Jerry Springer got busted for the, the check to the prostitute, of course. Yeah. Um, and anyone who's not familiar, only familiar with Jerry Springer for his TV show who's going to be listening to this, uh, he was the mayor of Cincinnati and, and was busted um, for write, literally writing a check to a prostitute and, and putting on the, the on the line there what it was for. <laughs> and then later got reelected right back into office. So, I mean, would if someone was found guilty of corruption or, or, or all that stuff, embezzlement, I guess, whichever charge it is, um, would they still be able to run again if they were found? I mean, is that? I mean, I don't know if that's a if that's a question that makes sense. Or... In Ohio, if you're found guilty of a felony, you cannot run for office. Okay. So that they definitely need to go and and, and take the time to really focus on and clearing their name. Then. Yep. Okay. Because I you hear things that here and there, and it's just like okay, because you have like Florida, we have Matt Gates with his, his multiple DUIs. Um, and it's like, well, how is someone, you know, like the, you know, and then you get to Congress and you're, you're like, they were state representative and then they make it to the federal level anyway. And you're like, how do we have people like this in there? And, and then, of course, like I said, you know, we have multiple corruption scandals happening all over the place. Um, uh, see, what was somebody, oh, what can we talk, do you want to talk about Trump a little bit right now? Sure. Not too much. Um, I, there's there's all kinds of fun stuff happening before the election, which I, I would have loved to ask. Do you think that he uh, – there's a lot of talk right now with a lot of the people being fired from the Pentagon. And then there's a lot of people on the progressive side of media talking about the possibility of a hard coup. A uh, soft coup would be if they had uh, replaced all the um, electoral college members with people who support Trump and they just voted Trump instead of voting Biden in the states that went Biden. Do you think there's a possibility of a soft or hard coup, possibly? I, I, I think if, beyond a doubt, a, a doubt, election fraud can be proven um, in those states, I think there is a possible of it if election fraud did take place in those states and there's a uh, pathway that the Constitution has created to deal with that. And I, anybody that's not familiar with it, I would encourage them to uh, go to building blocks for liberty, Jim Lewis lays it out very clearly. There is a, a path that the Constitution has put in place. Uh, but, you know, you, you talked about the media, and um, I, I just think the media is so corrupt today. Uh, I don't remember how long ago. 20 years ago, Dan Rather did a story that was based on a forged document. Oh, for Bush. That he knew. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And um, once it was found out it was forged and he knew it was forged, he was immediately fired. Right. But if you look at what the mainstream media has done with the Steele dossier that was proven to be paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign, proven to be a fake document, uh, they, they continued to use it, and many of the reporters ended up winning Pulitzers. So our media has gotten so skewed. I remember growing up, uh, Walter Cronkite, he was a flaming liberal. I never knew that. Right. Because he just told the news. It was never where he stood. And um, both those on the right are just as bad as those on the left in terms of not reporting the news but trying to um, create the news. Sensationalize it and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, I agree with you on that one. And it, but it's a... Uh... I don't know, it's like I've have I have friends and they're like if he does if there's a coup this way or a coup that way there'll be riots in the streets and stuff like that and I'm like yeah you know and, and, and it is scary kind of to a degree because there are people out there and I, I get the 
I see the messages on Facebook and Twitter and stuff where people are like, we're ready for a, a shooting war. And it's just like, no, 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 you're not. Um, I kind of laugh a little bit because I, I, being in printing, a lot of the printers are conservative, extremely, and they're very much super Trump supporters, which is always funny. And they always make jokes about how the Democrats will be pushovers because they never have any guns. But having, I mean, you know, my wife's a Democrat. So uh, having gone to all the functions that the Democrats have and, uh, and everybody and, and meeting everybody, I can pretty much say that almost every, I mean, <clears throat> almost every Democrat that I've met who's in office or running for office has a CCL. And they, have a, they are a much better shot than I am. And most of the Republicans I know don't have a CCL. And they're a lot worse shot than I am. So I'm kind of like, I don't think you guys realize, like, um, I don't think you're going to be pushing them over so well. Uh, just one person in particular, they, they actually showed off their collection of firearms. And I was quite... I was like, there's a young man in me who wished he had all those kind of toys and stuff. And I'm like, holy damn. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, we make jokes about my my, uh, my brother-in-law. He used to shoot skeet in um, college to make money. He was, a, instead of a pool shark, he was a skeet shark. And he shot a skeet with a 22 short. And he would make uh, hundreds of dollars every week tricking the uh, the white kids at the, the, the gun club that the... Uh, Indian guy didn't know uh, one gun from the other and he'd shoot skeet with this 22 short and he was like man they were all dumbfounded all the time and uh, there was a, a Democrat and I, I will not say their name but they actually went and uh, they said oh well, that's that's how I was taught how to shoot skeet was with a 22 and I can do that and I was oh. but uh, yeah I, I know who not to go and uh, <clears throat> bet money against <laughs> shooting trap and skeet yep. but um, I th- do you find I mean I, I think that's kind of the thing that kind of bothers me because there's a lot it seems like the Republican Party right now especially when it comes to Georgia um, is almost killing itself like fighting with itself um, I mean you've got um, you got people threatening Republicans lifelong Republicans uh, who are just trying to do their jobs you have um, people who I don't know if they work for Trump or don't work for Trump anymore because it's like this day they're they're like we love them and then the next day we don't they're talking about boycotting the election and and I I've had people ask me, what do you think's going on? And I'm like, I have no clue. But um, you know, what what is your thoughts on that? Because it seems like it's just like everybody's fighting each other. Yeah, I don't have much of a clue of what's going on down in Georgia either. But what you just described has been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You know, you can study the politics in ancient Greece and ancient Rome and it really hasn't changed much. I mean, there's been infighting within the party as long as I've been involved in politics, and that's true for both of the major parties. And I was even involved with the Libertarian Party for a while, and it was even true there. So um, there there, there (laughs) is, uh, you know, people are going to have disagreements, you know. There's um, Republicans that are uh, liberal and Republicans that are conservative. Same with Democrats. There's right. conservative. I serve with some conservative Democrats in the state house. You know, they, they they vote with us. I think more than they vote with their own party. And we have some people uh, that vote with the Dems more than they vote with the uh, the Republicans. So it, it's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Hell, we had a civil war. It got so bad in the 1860s. We had a civil war that killed more Americans than every other 
war we've been in combined. Yeah, and it's true. And, and um, I mean, what's funny to me when we talk about the Civil War is our Civil War was quite civil compared to some of the other countries' Civil Wars, which is kind of sad. So I actually, I, I, I talk to people about that all the time with our Civil War. And and the reality is I think that we probably, it, it, if you if the South had not been really firing everybody up, that first land battle of the, of the of the Civil War would have been totally different. It would have been more like the the, the battle for uh, Toledo, where shots would have been you know because one of the units they actually lifted the rifles up and pointed off the side to fire their shot off to show that they would not fire on fellow Americans because it was their cousins and their brothers and their family members on the other side of that line, but on the other side. They were told that, you know, all these horrible stories and they, they were kind of brainwashed, for lack of better terms. And then they just, they were like, hell with it. We'll, we'll gun these guys down. They're not worth, you know, saving. Um, and that's really the kind of the real start of the war because people showed up. They were going to observe it and watch it. They thought this was going to be a great spectacle. And, and some people were like, oh, the Union would not lose. Well, if you fire off your first shot on a musket, it's going to be what, a, what, a minute before you could reload it. And they weren't even reloading. 16 seconds if they're good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you weren't planning on reloading, you know, you're not going to you're not going to get ready and do all the stuff you need to do to reload, and you're not going to be able to fire back. And that's what, what pretty much happened. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, yeah, I mean, but that, at that time, there's a lot more going on. There's, it gets a little bit more complicated because you had, you know, slavery. It wasn't just like a party inside the party thing, but... Um, you know, there's all kinds of accusations of what the Republicans were going to do when they when Lincoln came into power and, and they saw, oh, he's going to win the election. Oh, this is what's going to happen. And um, I mean, the Republican Party, I mean, it, it has its issues immediately after Lincoln. I, I don't know if, if Lincoln would have survived. I don't know what the party would be today um, because it did go very corporate after after the, uh, Lincoln died. And Grant was as you read about Grant and people talk about like, he, he, yeah, he, he did a lot of stuff, but. He was pretty much also a corporate Republican, or what we'd call a corporate Republican today. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know, to me, it's, it's like, like, I know that there's the never-Trumpers, and there's the Trumpers, and then you have the people who are just like, yeah, he's, he's president, I don't care. Um, and other people are just tired of the, the Jerry Springer show kind of thing in politics, and that's the only way I describe it, because I, I, I get embarrassed by it a lot. Um, do you, I mean, do you think Trump will run again in 2024? If he, uh, I, I can only tell you, I certainly hope so. Um, I think Trump is what our forefathers had in mind when they created America. Uh, America first, exceptionalism. You know, they, they believed in the power of the individual, not the power of the collective. And there was a fundamental difference from every government that existed at the time and to a great degree even today. And I believe in the power of the individual over the power of the collective. And uh, that's, a, that's a very conservative philosophy, and it's a philosophy Donald Trump fully believes in. And uh, I, I certainly hope that if his health is strong enough uh, that uh, he runs again in four years. If not, I hope someone rises that uh, has his same put America first philosophy because there's been a whole lot of good that's transpired under the... Uh, the Trump administration, if you look at compared to the uh, the previous administrations, not all of it's been good, but uh, all in all, I've, he's going to go down as one of the top presidents of my lifetime in my book. Okay. Um, let me see here. 
Oh, darn, this is what happens when I, I, I should write more questions down. Oh, um. You know, you were talking about the infighting in the party, and, and, and that's a true thing. But every once in a while, something happens in our country that brings us all together as Americans. We're not conservatives. We're not liberals, even within our own party, even within separate, separate parties. And about 20 years ago, uh, on a beautiful September morning, faceless, cowardly bastards commandeered our planes. They slammed them into our buildings, killing our mamas, our daddies, our grandmas, our grandpas, our brothers, our sisters, our aunts, our uncles, our sons, and our daughters. That was on September 11th. We were lost. We were, we, we were dismayed. But what happened on September 12th? We woke up. We weren't conservatives. We weren't liberals. We were united as one United States of America to figure out who did this and to make sure we have proper retribution. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a shame that it takes something like that for us to become one. Uh, because I, I think for the most part, both parties want the same thing. Now, they have a, a different path. Oh, yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. But, but, but for the most part, I think they all want the same thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you hope that when you, when you vote for the person that they're telling the truth and that they do want that. And I, I, I think there are a lot of people still in the Republican Party who do. Um, and same with the Democrats. But, I mean, there's, I, I, there are certain people in both parties that I can kind of point to and be like, and I'm sure you can do the same thing and say that person's not in there for the right reason and they're just in there for the, the show of, of and trying to get the attention of everybody uh, which I think is really the wrong thing because I mean to me you know I, I mean if I had won I probably would be the most annoying Republican in, in, in the house and bugging the daylights out of everybody to do what I'd want but um, I also when I was campaigning I actually I, I thought last year Trump would lose and I, I read all the economic stuff and that, that, that they were expecting a crash to happen this year anyway. Um, I think they were expecting it to happen in July. And I, I, it's, it's a little bit too much to talk about now because we don't have the time for it. But um, I was expecting that to come in and hit. And then, you know, we would have uh, basically a slow decline, not what we had. Um, the coronavirus actually accelerated. Everybody says it, it accelerated like, like th someone throwing JP4 on a fire. It just went up, no, or atomic bomb, throwing an atomic bomb on a fire, I guess, would be the way to put it. Um, and so I was always put in plan, okay, I, and I, I, I pretty much thought, you know, there's no way after the, after the last, not this last election, but the election before with the blue wave, the Democrats wouldn't, would take and learn from their lesson, and they would probably go and really win a lot. So if I won, I would have to go into a battle with Democrats, and how do you, like, how do you go in and with a plan to end abortion, but market it to them in a way that they get what they want while still ending abortion? And there's a lot of ways to do that, with, and, and, and that they would be like, okay, this is putting the woman's health first. We'll do that. You know, this is helping this. How do you uh, contain or control the budget and the deficit? Well, now we have progressives saying we want to control the deficit. We want to bring all the, that spending down. They don't want to spend stuff. And of course, the military is the first thing they pick because, you know, that's the biggest thing on the budget after paying off the debt, <laughs> paying off the, the loans. And so I, my thing was when I was running was always how do I get the conservative view 
but market it as something that the, the progressives and even the Democrats would go and take. And I think that might have been probably one of the things I did wrong because nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear, you know, how are you going to go and support Trump on this battlefield? And I was, I pretty much at the time was like, I don't think Trump's going to be on the battlefield. I, I, I said, I think we, I think looking forwards, you know, if you're a Republican, you're dealing with a Republican president. Yeah, you know, here's my plan. And 90% of the time, you, you, they, they say, yeah, we like it. Or they, they tell you you're an idiot, you know, very politely. Um, but I think my biggest thing was, or I messed up, was everybody wanted to hear how I would support Trump. Um, and I, I, I straight up said, like, a couple of situations where, you know, taking care of, like, the farmers and stuff and actually getting down, you know, and the... Because I'm different than, like, you. you're, you're more of an executive. You, you don't really... You're not like me. I'm, I'm a working class. I'm more working class than I would... You, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the blue collar guy working for you, you know, more than, than I'm like you right now, even though I've had two companies, but, um, yeah, I think that, that, yeah, it's, it's a hard set, you know, in a situation like this, I think, um, I, I kind of hope that like the president, uh, that Trump will concede at some point, but like, yeah, you won, you know, um, just like he said, Obama, like, yeah, that, that Obama was born here and, you know. Um, and it's just kind of like I'm hoping, like, like it, it just seems like, like, do you, th- how bad do you think it will look for him if he doesn't go to the inauguration for Joe Biden? Do you think it'll look bad, or do you think people will cheer for I, it? I, I think if Joe Biden wins the electoral college vote, uh, Trump's going to have no problem transitioning. Um, you know, and, and Trump is due his day in court, and I'm. Uh, Proud we have a president that can stand and fight, and I will take exception to your uh, perception on economics. There is a reason the economy exploded under Trump, where it was stagnant under Obama, where Obama told us one percent growth is the new normal, where Obama said those jobs will never come back. The reason those jobs left America in the first place is because of policies that government has put in, and I learned that from my time as a trustee here in Westchester, and. Trump made a environment in America where businesses can thrive, and as a result, everybody thrived. In Westchester, we set out to make Westchester the most business-friendly community in the state, and people give me credit for coming up with that vision. I don't deserve that credit. I've actually heard that down at UC. They've actually said that about that, that Westchester. That people before me. Now, I think I put it on steroids. So in Westchester, we have no income tax. We have no earning tax. We created an environment where, a, because remember, that's not just on the individuals, on profits of corporations. Right. We have a lower property tax, and we have a simpler, kinder zoning department. So a business can come to Westchester and make more money than going to any community around them. So let's look at some of the things that have happened as a result of it. And I'm, I'm trying to take this plan statewide in Ohio, because Ohio's been on a bad track for 50 years. So let's look at some of the things that happened. Westchester has become the most affluent community in the state of Ohio. Some say Dublin is right there with us, and they are, uh, but it's it's a very close one-two, Westchester, Dublin. We recently passed Blue Ash as the number two provider of jobs in all of Southwest Ohio, second only to downtown Cincinnati with a higher overall median average income than downtown Cincinnati. Before COVID hit, there were fast food restaurants that the starting wage was $14 an hour. Not a government mandate, 
a market mandate because right. uh, wages, labor is subject to the laws of supply and demand as well. So by putting business first, we have been able to create not only a thriving community that Money Magazine says is the number one most desirable community in Ohio to live in, but one of the top 30 in America, but we've also been able to not have a tax increase to our general fund since the 1990s. No other community can say that. Now we have had an increase in our schools and in our police and fire, but our general fund, we have fewer employees today than we had in 2003. Because when I got elected, we started focusing only on our core competencies, police, fire, emergency medical technicians, and roads. One of the first things we did, we got rid of Voice of America Park, our biggest park. Uh, we couldn't even justify mowing the grass for the asset that we had. Uh, as a result of getting rid of that, we were able to let th three full-time equivalent people go. Now, we didn't let, no one lost their job, but as attrition occurred, mm -hmm. people were not replaced. So in Westchester, we said no to parks. We said no to bike paths. We said no to community centers and community swim pools. And when we did that, boy, there were a lot of people pissed off. Guess what? Right now, there's about four or five major swim pools that have been put in by the private sector that before COVID hit were all thriving and doing well. So we said no to all of to senior centers. We said no to public golf courses and put all our money into infrastructure to attract and retain businesses. And as a result, we have become the most desirable, one of the most cost effective, and one of the most low cost communities in Ohio to live in. So, uh, and all we did was put business first. And I'm, my goal in Ohio is to put that business first mentality in place at Ohio, because as I mentioned, we've been on a bad track for about 50 years. Well, I, I know that was one of the things that was talked about during the election by a couple of people was the number of uh, representatives we're going to lose on the federal level because people have left the state. And uh, uh, that won't affect you, and I, I don't believe in any situation, but there are certain people in the state it, it probably will when that census comes out. And uh, I know everybody wants to turn that around because more people, more money, and more, more power in D.C. as well, too. Um, I just... Uh, it's like there, there's certain things you see, like when you're printing, um, I always thought it was funny because I am watching the time for it. But uh, <laughs> um, I used to work at a place that we used to make the bags for Gap and Old Navy. And it was an interesting environment to be in because um, when the, the crash happened, I believe it was, yeah, in 09, the we stopped getting our orders in, coming in for, for bags. And we when you run print jobs, I mean, Gap and Old Navy's bags don't change much. I mean, they might do a Christmas bag that's special, but the rest of the year, like Gap, I mean, it's just that blue bag. And so, uh, you know, any extra, you just put them on the shelf, and then maybe someday you might have enough to go and ship out with an order. You might ship it with an order if you run low or you didn't get enough products or whatnot. But we were using all this, the product off the shelf that we had been accruing for a year, you know, a year or two years, and sending it out because there were no orders people had stopped buying stuff and pardon me that was one of the things that was a big fear when i, I read in the economist because the economy was more being driven by people buying things and just buy, you know the buy to buy things and wasn't being driven by actual manufacturing and, and manufacturing itself is even getting to a part where it's a, i don't know if you fan, you're, you're a fan of american giant or not uh clothing 
Uh, they are from seed all the way to finished product made in America. Good. And uh, the, yeah, I have one of those sweatshirts, and it will probably be the last sweatshirt I ever buy. <laughs> yeah. um, but they they were talking about like their where they, they do the cotton gin at work at. And they were like, oh, yeah, this this factory used to have 500 people. Now we have 24 because of the machinery, you know, that you don't need, tw- you only need 24 to run it. And then where they actually make the uh, the yards of fabric at with the cotton, they said, oh, yeah, you know, we used to have 1,000 people working here. Now we got, like, 200. And uh, they're talking about, like, you know, and, and, and the plant runs fast. You get, they produce more at one plant nowadays with new equipment than they would have back, you know, 50 years ago or 20 years ago. And so I think a lot of the problem is, is that we have a situation where politics and policies haven't caught up to this new uh, revelation that there's not as much, like there's not going to be as many jobs. Even in printing, like when I started printing, you would have four or five people running a press. Nowadays, you only have two people. You have a guy packing off the back end and one guy watching the press. And usually everything's on cameras. And, uh, you know, again, the, the other thing is, of course, the companies they make uh, when they, they they're making so much money now, they don't have a problem buying a, a ten or twenty million dollar press to do that. But we are running out of time. I want to thank you. Well, let me oh. just address that. You know, one of the problems with governments when they are rocking and rolling, there are communities around us. Forty years ago, the paper money that was coming into the communities, the steel money that was coming in. And back in the 1980s, you couldn't look forward and see the internet's going to come and eliminate the paper industry. You couldn't see China's going to start dumping all that cheap steel. So what did these governments do as the money's pouring in, the tax money? They started growing their government, making it bigger and bigger, acquiring parkland, creating all this stuff for the people. And then all of a sudden, the, the paper money's gone, the steel's money gone. They're stuck with the infrastructure. So what do they have to do? They have to increase their taxes on a smaller base, right. and those businesses that are stuck paying the bill end up leaving. And that's what happened in Ohio as a whole. And here's, today Ohio is the fifth most left state in the nation. Not from an ideological perspective, Ed, but from people physically leaving the state. Number one reason people leave, better economic opportunity elsewhere. We have the greatest colleges and universities in the world right here in Ohio. Over 60% of all Ohio grads leave. Why? Better economic opportunity elsewhere. And here's one statistic to crystallize it. This is indisputable and it's irrefutable. 50 years ago, when we're rocking and rolling, the average Ohioan makes 10% more than the average American, we have 24 congressmen. Today, we're down to 16. We know when the census comes out this year, we're going to 15, maybe 14. No other state has got their ass kicked as bad as Ohio has in the last 50 years. What did we do 50 years ago? We implement the income tax, not just on individuals, but on corporations with one business tax after another, one business regulation after another, and we are driving businesses away. And today we're the fifth most left state in the nation, and today the average Ohioan makes 12% less than the average American. And it's all government's fault. All those jobs that left America to go elsewhere, all government's fault. I know we got to wrap up. I know, and I'm, I'm, (laughs) that's fine. You know, I look forward to having another sit down with you and we can actually talk in depth about what happened with the paper industry because, um, being in printing and everything, I do actually know what happened in Hamilton with everything that was paper related. And it's, 
huge issues. Edmonton, it was all over. Oh, no, no. And it, it, we only have one print left in Ohio. Uh, it's called Gauss Seltzer or Gas Seltzer. The paper company? Yeah, one, one paper. And, and I, I, uh, I've been reading up. They are wanting to go away from uh, paper pulp. They want to go back to uh, hemp. And because it's cheaper, it's better. It works in the laser printers. It works in the inkjets. It works in the uh, the thermal transfers. Not to mention, it's better for trees. It, it is better for trees. And then one, the, one, one the, acre of hemp can make as much paper yeah. as ten acres of trees. trees. Yeah. And it takes about ten years to harvest trees. Right. Or it takes about three months to harvest hemp. Right. And and uh, we don't unfortunately we don't have the time right now and I gotta make sure that I get you out of here on time. But we I, I look forward to having that sit down with you and discussing that. Yep. Um at a later time. And I do want to thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you for taking the time. And uh and again this is uh, uh Senator now, George Lang of the state of Ohio. Not yet, not till January. Not to I'm sorry. Perspective, or Senator elect. elect. There we go. Uh, of Ohio. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for sitting down with me. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your, your very busy schedule to do this. And uh, I very much appreciate it. Thank you no, very no much. No problem. Thank and, you. Ed. And, and everybody, I uh, hope you all have a wonderful and safe week. And if I don't put another podcast out, I hope you all have a very safe and wonderful Merry Christmas. Thank you. Bye.